Listener Production. Wall Street dodges a bullet with the latest jobs figures and US stocks advance. And Aussie shares expected to begin the week on the front foot ahead of a big week of economic data and the Reserve Bank meeting. I'm Tom. And I'm Ryan. It's Monday, the 4th of September. Welcome to the Comsec Market Update. Spring and all its promise has arrived, Ryan. It has indeed, Tom. Shall that promise be delivered to the fortunes of the markets? Well, typically September's not a good month for share markets, so let's hope that we get a more positive outcome. So let's just quickly reflect on what happened on Wall Street on Friday. Uh, US markets were generally moving in the right direction by the close. The NASDAQ was just in negative territory, down by three points. The S&P 500 had improved by 0.2 of a percent, and the Dow Jones was up by a third of a percent. So just in weekly terms, it was quite an encouraging week for US stocks. The Dow rose 1.4%. The S&P 500 was up 2.5%. And the Nasdaq was up three and uh, 3.3%. You wouldn't sniff at those gains. Technology stocks, energy stocks tended to be the outperformers in the US. And when you look at the sector performances globally, that was a feature of the way that markets perform. So in Europe, that tended to be the case as well. Consumer-facing stocks doing quite well. So have we got anything to worry about? Well, we've got a situation at the moment <laughs> whereby the US economy clearly has a bit of a slowing jobs market. So what we did see on Friday was a mixed jobs report for August and the world's largest economy added more jobs than expected during the month. It added 187,000 in August. That was above expectations for 170,000, but the unemployment rate did lift from broadly 50-year lows of 3.5% to 3.8%. And at the same time, we did see a slight fall in terms of wages growth. So some would say it was a little bit of a Goldilocks report yeah, for the markets. Under the circumstances, there was nothing there that would antagonise the marginal observer. If anything, it reaffirmed expectations the US Federal Reserve will pause its interest rate hikes at its policy meeting later this month. Judging by the performance of the markets, they've already sort of weaved that into their expectations because we've got a central bank meeting at home this week and there's a sense that it will be the opportunity for Governor Lowe to go out with, um, I suppose, something that has characterised his mindset, a dovish note. Certainly the view will be that the Reserve Bank will be on hold tomorrow and keep interest rates at 4.1%. The recent data flow has been slightly weaker than expected. We got the monthly consumer price indicator and it didn't really contain any smoking gun (laughs) for... A further rate hike. We have seen a deteriorating economic outlook with our biggest trading partner, China. And at the same time, we did see job losses uh, in the most recent labour market report. So as it stands, we're probably going to be on wait and see mode until we get the next quarterly inflation update. And that takes place at the end of October. And we may see a rate hike on Melbourne Cup Day if that's stronger than expected. In the US experience, Ryan, the thing that stood out to me was the decent drop lower that we saw for short-term interest rates. Um, So you had a two-year government bond in the US down by about 18 points in weekly terms. So that's a a decent move lower in weekly terms for shorter-dated government bonds, and that's, that's important in terms of a signal for what's going on in interest rate land. Absolutely. So the two-year yield reflects interest rate expectations and- As I mentioned, the forecast really going forward is that 
in terms of rate hikes in the United States, nothing expected in September, and Fed fund futures have slashed the chances of another rate hike in November or December to around 33%. So markets suggest now that the central banks are almost done with their rate hike cycle, and that's really a phenomenon around the world at the moment, and that's reflected in those yields coming down. So I suppose just for the average person to get a sense of things, I think what it would be reasonable to say is it's the end of the beginning. So that period that was marked by an aggressive readjustment when it came to interest rates to respond to that post-pandemic surplus of, of stimulus, be it you know low rates, cash um, injections, supportive measures on the part of governments, this is a moment in time where that has come to an end. We are still dealing with higher inflation, so interest rate hikes are certainly a part of the future, but not with that same aggression that marked the last 12 months, for example. Well, yes, we've seen 400 basis points with the rate hikes in Australia and <laughs> 525 in the US, so we're if done with that. you saw that again, you'd be, I don't know. Your hair would be what? on fire, basically, <laughs> but... Where we're at currently is that the central banks remain on the front foot when it comes to inflation. And we heard from Loretta Mester on the weekend. She's the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland president. And she said US inflation still remains too high. So what it all means is that interest rates are likely to remain high for longer and expectations around interest rate cuts for 2024 have been pushed back further to perhaps into the second quarter to middle of the year. So let's just quickly reflect on what we saw where European markets were concerned. It was a bit of a patchy performance. We had the German market down by about two-thirds of a percent on Friday, the French market down by a quarter of a percent. In the UK, the market was up by a third of a percent. The stock 600 index was down just slightly on Friday, but in weekly terms managed an improvement of about one and a half percent. So again, reflecting that improved performance in weekly terms that we have tended to see for stock markets around the world. We did see a fairly mixed outcome on Friday. So we saw energy stocks up 1.9%. There was a couple of reasons for that in Europe. Morgan Stanley, the broker, double upgraded the sector and crude oil prices rose. And we did see quite an aggressive lift in US crude oil prices are up 2.3% to 85.55 US dollars a barrel. And we are continuing to see those supply restrictions from OPEC and its allies. So think Saudi Arabia and Russia. And what we heard on Friday is Saudi Arabia is widely expected to extend a voluntary 1 million barrel per day oil production cut into October. That follows Russia's announcement the prior day where they're going to restrict exports even further. So but what that's doing is pushing all prices above 85 bucks a barrel, and that's supporting the energy sector in share markets at the moment. It has been a concerted campaign on the part of these players in the energy space, uh, and it has worked because they have engineered a very substantial recovery. It's the longest winning streak that we're presently seeing since the beginning of the year. The price of West Texas Intermediate was up by about 7% last week. That was the seventh session of gains. Now we're in an interesting space, which is quite valuable in terms of just watching the way these prices behave, because we're in that orbit of $85 per barrel. Um, historically, over the course of this year, prices have tended to be rejected at these levels. Uh, and bearing in mind that we were dealing with a different construct because we were talking about a moderating global growth picture, but now we're in a slightly different conversation where perhaps we've threaded the needle 
on the worst of the headwinds for, for global growth. It's a question now of whether or not the market will accept these prices at uh, the mid to higher $85 bound. That's, uh, that's an important thing to watch, don't you reckon? Apart from the confirmation of the Saudi-Russian cut extensions, the other thing to note as well is that sentiment around China has improved a little bit. A little bit. Over the much. course of the last week. And if China's economy starts to stabilise and strengthen, perhaps, that'll offer to offer support for demand when it comes to crude oil. So what we did see, though, on the global growth front over the course of Friday was we got updates on manufacturing. So what we did see there in Europe was France's manufacturing sector continuing to contract for a seventh consecutive month. Germany's manufacturing sector remained mired in a downturn and Italy's manufacturing sector contracted in August for a fifth consecutive month and its GDP shrank 0.4% in the June quarter. So broadly, Europe at the moment is mired in slow economic growth. There's your rebuttal of the improving growth outlook. Certainly, yes. And so that's something to look out for. The other thing as well is we also got an update from the United States as well. And the ISM manufacturing index firmed from 46.4 in July to 47.6 in August. But manufacturing activity in America still remains in contractionary mode. And as you mentioned around the pandemic, there was strong demand for goods. That's waned. People are more engaged in services, so tourism and spending at restaurants and the like, so less on, on manufactured goods. And we have seen a shedding of manufacturing jobs in the month of August. That's a very good point on which to perhaps conclude our reflections on the Northern Hemisphere. Let's have a look at what's going to happen locally today, Ryan, because the futures are pointing to a decent improvement at the start of trade. SPY futures finished with a gain of 31 points or 0.4 of a percent. That cancels and improves on the third of a percent decline that we saw for the share market on Friday. However, quite a muscular performance from the ASX 200 over the course of last week with a 2.4% improvement. Again, reflecting the relief that global markets displayed last week, uh, having navigated quite a number of risk hurdles. Consumer discretionary stocks fared well. Materials stocks did well. Financials and industrials did well. They were the most improved in in that order. In fact, every sector in the ASX finished higher over the course of the week. So in terms of getting out of the woods on stocks, we sort of flirted with that 7,100 level for the ASX 200. It seems to have consolidated and rebounded quite nicely. And now we're uh, closer to 7,300 as a level just below that this week. Is that going to help us in terms of what we're looking forward to? We've got the RBA and employment as the two highlights. Yeah, so certainly the Reserve Bank, as I mentioned, the outlook there will still remain with a bit of a hawkish tilt, I think, in that they will want to continue to be on the front foot with regard to inflation and they'll want to appear to be firm on that front. But certainly, there'll be nothing for share markets to be too concerned about. It's, it's going to be a well-telegraphed statement tomorrow, I'm expecting, in, in Philip Lowe's last one. The passing of the baton. The passing of the baton. And then, of course, we get the latest economic growth data on Wednesday. Commonwealth Bank Group economists were expecting to see GDP lift by 0.3% in the quarter. So broadly, we are seeing a deceleration in the annual growth rate and Certainly a weakening in household spending will be a feature here with those interest rates much higher. So that, once again, will fit into the narrative around the so-called soft landing. And 
slower economic growth, weaker employment outlook, and and certainly the Reserve Bank will be in wait-and-see mode data-wise. Anything else for you, Ryan, that stands out particularly? What we did see on Friday was a better-than-expected manufacturing result out of China. So that was critical. So we got the Kaijin measure, and, and that measure was actually expansionary for the first time since March 2023, so a few months ago. And it's a good proxy of domestic demand, particularly for new orders, and and we did see that lift. So you wouldn't be pinning too many hopes on that. That this is just a cessation of a slide that has you know really dominated the last couple of months. It's not um, that first swallow that you'd be kind of thinking, okay. What I would say though is it is providing some hope that domestic demand and employment in China are stabilising, if not improving. And of course, they've released a lot of measures recently, and maybe some of those are having some effect. But but realistically, uh, you know, to play the devil's advocate, because yes, it's important that things stabilise there, given all of the challenges that they face. But you'd be looking for the beginning of next year as a, an opportunity to see whether or not those measures are actually delivering anything material. So it's almost as though the recovery has been delayed by a year, where the Chinese is concerned. That's a fair point. And we, we have seen some measures in the property market in particular that has provided better sentiment and the better sentiment along with the steel building and construction seasonal demand, which happens in September, did see the iron ore price hit 118.19 US dollars a tonne on Friday. So broadly, commodity prices are up and that should provide some support for the Aussie market today, Tom. Looking forward to this week, Ryan, it will be a valuable one in terms of filling our database with points by which to navigate. Yes, and the Aussie dollar did slide from 65.17 cents to 64.39 cents and is currently trading at 64.5 cents. We did see a little bit of greenback strength on Friday on the back of that mixed jobs report. Indeed. Ryan, great to hang out. Have a great week ahead, everyone. This podcast is prepared, approved and distributed in Australia by Commonwealth Securities Limited, ABN 60067-254-399, AFSL 238814. The information does not take into consideration your objectives, financial situation or needs. Consider the appropriateness of the information before acting and if necessary, seek appropriate professional advice. Listener.